0: The following message was given by Tom Smith, a pastoral intern at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. It's a real joy to be with you all this morning, as it is every Sunday morning. Um, And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, The leadership team here at Valley Creek Church loves you so much. And loves the way you love and serve one another so faithfully. What a joy to be part of this church. We're taking a pause in our Matthew series for a few weeks. And uh, today I'll be sharing a message from 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. We'll read the passage in a few minutes. First, I want to share with you why I was feeling the burden to preach on this text. Many of you know that for several months, I've been experiencing health issues. I had a mild stroke in November, and then follow-up tests showed that I had a growing aneurysm in my brain, and a neurosurgeon said we should operate now. I agreed. The surgery was successful, and the recovery was brutal. It took a while. I kept me home for six weeks and out of work for eight. And um, it was honestly, physically difficult. And it was also emotionally challenging for me. Um, It was six weeks before I felt well enough to come out and come back to church. And I missed all of you for those, for for, the first three services in April. And I missed Easter Sunday here And I missed the merge with First Baptist Church, and that hurt. You know, I really wanted to be here for that. Um, Please hear my heartfelt thanks for all of your prayer and care during that time. We had lots of meals brought to us by all of you, cards, encouragements. Cindy took care of me heroically and was also cared for by you. So I am grateful for that. We are so grateful. I want to thank you again this morning. I feel your love. There was something else going on during that time. Something God wanted to work in me. And I struggled emotionally with being frail and feeling weak. I found myself seeking the Lord, but not getting answers, really, to my questions. Why this? Why now? Why so long to heal me? And it wasn't easy. My prayers didn't get answered in the way I wanted them to. God did not disappoint, but my journey was slow, and it was difficult. Second Corinthians 4 helped me to see that God was with me and caring for me, even if I didn't feel it. This is why I chose this passage. To preach today. Just the thought that God is with us, even when we don't feel it, is worth learning. Amen? So, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, that in your word you speak truth to us, I ask you to work in our hearts this morning to help us see more of your sustaining power in our lives and your great worth. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate us this morning and make us long to be in your presence even more. Help me to preach today for your glory alone. Amen. I'll give some historical context briefly about 2 Corinthians And then then we'll read the passage. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians about 56 AD, roughly four or five years after he started the church there. His plans to revisit Corinth were interrupted. Uh, The letter was written after another group of teachers arrived in Corinth. And it seems from the letter they they were stirring up dissension and attempting to add to the gospel message. We don't see the details of their error in the letter, just hints that they had a message that was different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were also attempting to discredit Paul. What we do see is that Paul wanted to keep the Corinthian church centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ without extras being layered on. Now let's read the passage together 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. This is the word of God. In this passage, we read that Paul encouraged the Corinthians with two contrasting images or metaphors. On the one hand, we own a treasure, a priceless treasure. And on the other hand, we hold that treasure in jars of clay. This treasure is kept in our hearts, which is sometimes our weak in faith. Paul presents this contrast to reveal how it's God's power And God's power alone that sustains us in life and will bring us home to heaven. The main idea in this passage is this. The power and grace that saved us is the same power and grace that will sustain us for the glory of God. And you're going to hear me say that a number of times in this sermon because I want you to remember that. I'll have three points from the text Briefly, there are these. Number one, this treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, we are like jars of clay. We are weak. And number three, God sustains us by giving us his surpassing power. I'll then focus the rest of the message on addressing how we can live these truths in our lives. My first point addresses the question, what is this treasure that Paul speaks of? This treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why I say this. In verse 6, Paul wrote that the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ is in our hearts. Paul preached throughout all of his ministry this good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul shared this news everywhere he went like a newscaster with the best news of all time. In Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of all of our sins and we'll live for eternity in God's presence in heaven. This is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a few minutes to explain the gospel further, both to remind us of it, and to ensure that everyone with us today hears what the Word of God tells us about Jesus Christ. Jesus came for a reason. It was not just to be a teacher, or a good man, or a good example. He did all those things, but He had a primary purpose that is something no one else could do. He came to save us. He saved us by paying the penalty for all of our wrongdoing, all of our sin. Why was this necessary? Because from the beginning, the human race has fallen into a problem, sinful rebellion against God. As our creator, God has a claim on us. We're accountable to him, whether we believe he exists or not. We're still accountable to him. The Bible teaches that we have rebelled against him, that even those who believe in him have sinned against him. That includes me. Psalm 14 tells us they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This means that every man and woman is deemed a sinner before God, including me, including you including all people in all of history. We are accountable before God and are condemned by our own sinfulness. This is not good news. And our natural way of thinking is that we can be accepted by God if we just try to be better people, try to be good. Often we think, if I could just stop doing this or start doing that, God will understand me. He'll accept me. The trouble with this approach is that none of us can be good enough on our own. The Bible teaches that we cannot earn favor with God by being good. This is the bad news. None of us can earn God's acceptance by being good or by our own good works. Because of our sin, we are divinely condemned. Condemned. But there is good news. God himself provided the solution to our problem. He came himself in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came to earth in human form, fully human and fully God. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And then he sacrificed himself for our sin. By Jesus' death, we are justified before God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This is from Romans 3. This means that because of Jesus' death, we can be saved from condemnation. The proof that his death gives us forgiveness is found in his resurrection from the dead. Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Easter Sunday. He is alive. This is a treasure Paul speaks of and is the best news of all time. We, me, you, can all be right with God by believing his son Jesus Christ came and gave his life on the cross, died for our sins, and rose from the dead three days later. He calls us to repent of our sin and to follow him. This gospel treasure is like a priceless jewel or a valuable stash, a treasure kept in a place nobody can steal it or lose it. This word treasure is an important and weighty word in the verse, and I want to mine it a little more. One example of a precious treasure is diamonds. The most valuable ones are natural. They're formed in the depths of the earth, about 100 miles deep and a very long time ago. Extreme heat and pressure are required to form these precious stones, and then volcanic eruptions brought them near enough to the surface of the earth for them to be mined. Diamonds are mined, they're graded, they're expensive, and they're used as currency in international trade today. They're highly valued. With this picture of a treasure in mind, consider this. The treasure God tells us we have is knowing God in Jesus Christ. This is immeasurable in value. More valuable than any earthly treasure we could own. More than all the diamonds in all the world. What is more valuable than knowing God himself? Nothing. Knowing God in Christ assures us of life eternal where God himself welcomes us by virtue of Jesus' atoning death. All who hold this belief are the richest people of all time. We have no debt to pay. We have salvation as a gift. And our only obligation is to repent of our sins and follow him as Lord. And we hold this treasure in jars of clay. And what Paul means by saying this is we are fragile, we are easily broken. And this is my second point. We are like jars of clay, we are weak. Just so you know, Paul is referring to a clay pot that all people in his time, rich and poor, liked, used all the time. They're fragile, they're easily broken. Paul's point is that we are weak, but not that we're worthless. He's contrasting what God has given us, the invaluable treasure of the gospel, with the weak vessels that hold that treasure, namely us. Our bodies are subject to disease, injury, aging, and ultimately death. God can and does heal our diseases and injuries. He can do it miraculously. He can do it medically. We welcome that, we rejoice in that. Exercise and healthy habits will keep our bodies strong and working longer as we age. Good medical practice and medical advances can and will lengthen our lives. These are all good things. And we pray them for ourselves and for each other. Let's keep doing that faithfully and consistently. But we must also recognize that our bodies will eventually fail us. And even our healings and health are temporary, as wonderful as they are. One day we will all pass away, we will die. We are weak. We know all too well what this looks like. Our aging parents and family members experience decline in their bodies. We see this sometimes in our children and in ourselves. Health issues can linger and pile on one after another. We see loved ones get through one health issue and often another one arises. When things like this happen, it's natural for us to wonder, what's next, Lord? We can be discouraged or lack hope. My own struggle was like this during my recovery. One manifestation of that struggle was that I was not an easy man to live with. I was complaining and grumpy at home. Not what you'd call an inspiration of faith. Cindy put up with a lot. I was weak. I began to see how I can rely on myself instead of God in some subtle ways. Like, for example, I would rely on my own understanding, the strength of my own faith, biblical training that I've had, and thinking, thinking I had to show myself strong for God. That was not right. Our struggles can be hard, but it doesn't mean that God does not care for us. His kingdom is here, but not yet come to its fullness. There is a joy in this life that we can have as Jesus' followers that overcomes every affliction and trial. We see in the Bible that great suffering and hardship was part of Paul's life. He mentions the thorn in his side in this book in chapter 12. He summarizes in brief, in chapter 11, what he suffered at length. And I'll read a little bit of that in verse 24. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And he goes on and on. There's more. There's no question that Paul is one of the heroes of the faith. What happens next? We see Paul continued to minister the gospel. Despite the hardships. He did this with joy. And the awareness that he was called by God. Even though we are weak. There is hope and joy in the here and now because God is caring for us, even if we don't feel it. Sometimes we don't know why God allows bad things to happen, but we know that God loves and cares for us. In my time of trial, I remembered His love and care for me, and it humbled me. Remembering His love, I had one of those one of those "Who am I, Lord?" moments. You know, I'm I'm seeking God and I'm feeling I'm not feeling his presence, and then I feel his presence, and I was humbled. I was reminded that in his steadfast love for me, he made me a son through the saving grace of his son, Jesus Christ, and that was forever. I remembered that he sent his son to redeem me and all who believe in him. This is real love, eternal hope, and it gives us hope. We are like jars of clay. We are weak, but the power and grace that saved us is the same power and grace that sustains us for the glory of God. Now, church... um, This love of Christ, we're going to return to in a moment, but I want to move into the power aspect of this verse next. The power comes into focus in the next part of the passage of uh, uh, phrase in verse 7 to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And this is my third point, and this is probably the real point of verse 7. God sustains us. By giving us his surpassing power. We have trials and afflictions in life which causes pain. But the treasure of the gospel keeps us connected to God and his sustaining power. Verse 8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When trials come, we can question God. We can say things like, in our heads, what about the protections and the blessings I was promised that I see in the Bible? Am I being punished? Am I being judged? Did I miss something? Why this? And why now? These are the sorts of questions that come to our minds. And it's normal for us to feel this way. And ask, what's going on? We know in our heads that God is there and sees our troubles. But at times we don't feel or experience relief or faith. But this is a time when God is at work in our hearts. He's building a deeper trust and faith in us. Oftentimes, we can pray and not get answers, like I said before. And my prayer time was kind of a weird pattern of questions, wondering, reading, meditating, and then repeat. <laughs> questions, wondering, reading, meditate, answers not coming. It became more of a trust and wait pattern for me. And uh, this experience made me realize in a fresh way that it's God's power that helps us in our trials, not what I understand up in my own head. God took me deeper into his love, meditating on Job's trials, Paul's trials, and so many others in Scripture who are sustained by God, help me to see that it is God who is in control and watches over me faithfully. Brothers and sisters, trial and affliction are not the measure of God's care for us. Trial and affliction are not the measure of God's care for us. God sending Jesus is the measure and evidence of his love and care for us. Do not forget that when you're in trial. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And in verse 10, it says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Here's how Paul was able to proclaim not being taken down by his hardship. Because God's power was at work in him, enabling him to endure the hardships, the persecutions, the beatings, and continue to follow the call of God in his life. It was God's power alone that allowed him to persevere. And he did it joyfully. We see joy and gratitude written so often in his letters to the churches. Do we not? I'm no Paul the Apostle, and neither are any of us. But is this power ours also? Absolutely. God sustains all his children all the time. Church, I encourage you to remember that the power and grace that saved us, that brought us salvation, is the same power and grace that sustains us in our trials. His grace saved us, his grace remains with us, and his grace sustains us. That's his power at work. God is glorified by sustaining us. And we mustn't trust in our own strength or ability, accomplishments, gifting. We're called to continue to trust in God through all of our trials. Just as we submitted our lives to Jesus Christ to follow him, we trust his power day by day, year by year, decade by decade. This gives glory to the one who deserves it, to God. Even though we are weak, God's power is working in us for his glory. In fact, because we're weak, he's glorified all the more. God sustains us by giving his surpassing power to us. The power and grace that saved us is the same power and grace that sustains us for his glory. We'll experience that love and grace here and now. He cares for us at all times, even when we don't see it during a trial. Now I want to transition and talk a little bit about how we can apply and benefit these truths today. And the next part of the passage is where Paul points us how we can live our lives in hope as we endure trials. One day we will be home with the Lord. Hallelujah. What do we do in the meantime? Verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These verses call us to look to the future for hope. To look forward to what awaits us. We'll be in God's presence for eternity and this will impact the way we live today. We do not lose heart, it says in verse 16, which is quite a thing to say in the faces of verse 11, 12, and 13, which I skipped over, where Paul reflects on being given over to death in his ministry. Paul does not lose heart because he believes in the gospel truth that God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise him and us as well. That's from verse 14. We believe this. It is the hope we hold in our hearts. Verse 16 also says, Our inner self is renewed day by day. We may feel worn out. But church, God's power renews us renews our hearts and minds each and every day. Paul says in verse 17, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. Our trials and troubles in this life are real, but they don't compare with what will happen. We will be resurrected and taken to join God in our heavenly bodies. Afflictions and trials are described as light and momentary in comparison to what waits us in the future. (coughs) Paul says in verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. God calls us to cling to him, especially when we're suffering trial and loss. Sickness and failing health does not steal our hope. In verse 18 it says, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our future in Christ is coming, but it's not yet here. What we see right now in front of us is real. It's tangible. But the word of God tells us that what we see now is temporary. That a permanent change is coming. And what we're experiencing now is temporary. We have hope in Christ, in the resurrection to come, in the future we will have in God's presence for all eternity. Our future is certain. The gospel assures us of everlasting life in heaven. Scripture speaks loudly on this. Let me share just one of the promises you'll see in Scripture about what's coming. And this is from Revelation 21, starting in verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our future. This is the eternal glory Paul speaks of in this passage. Our hope is guaranteed by God through Jesus Christ's finished work. Our hope is in the resurrection and being in his presence for eternity. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, may I speak with you for a moment? I was in your shoes, and so were all of the church members with us today. My story of coming to God is that he took the initiative towards me, not me towards him. He sought me out, not because I merited his attention, but because he wanted me to be his. I can't tell you why he wanted that. I just know that he opened my eyes to his love. He captured my heart. God is doing the same for you. If your life has pain and disappointment, you think that God doesn't care about you or what's happening to you, if you don't see God's plan or love in your life, if you think your life is too hard and there must not be a God who cares about you or who even exists, I have good news for you. Jesus came for you. He came to give you forgiveness of your sins and to give you eternal life in heaven and a life of joy and peace now. He calls you to repent your sins and says, follow me. Please talk to me after the service or someone you know who might have brought you here. Jesus is there to receive you. We'd love to hear your story. And in fact, Jesus already knows and knew it when he went to the cross for you. Brothers and sisters, let me conclude and then I'll pray. Paul speaks of the treasure we have and its power. This treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we are like jars of clay. We are weak. But in our weakness, God sustains us by giving us his power. He's doing that for me and all of his followers. And joy comes to us because we experience his love and care in this life. Paul tells us to have hope in the future that awaits us. The power and grace that saved us is the same power and grace that sustains us for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we long to be in your presence, beholding your glory. We know that we will be with you when you decide the time has come. Until then, we thank you that you make us grow more and more in knowing you. Thank you for your surpassing power, for your sustaining power. Lord, we delight to be your ambassadors and proclaim your goodness to those around us. We pray our lives will give you glory in eternity, where we will behold your wondrous glory. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tom Smith given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.